I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been out of work. Welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Show for Closers. I'm Kevin Hill here with Richie Daigle. And we are going to talk about freight sales today. We're going to talk about the ins and outs, the roller coaster ride that defines the sales profession, doesn't it, Richie? It's absolutely. It, I, it, I think that's why people like it. It's, I do too. It's, it's not just about the income, but I think there's something there. It's, it's almost like the gambler's high or the you know, the, the people that get mm -hmm. addicted to these industries where there's lots of ups and downs. There's, there's, some, there's something there. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a great adrenaline that comes with sales. You get to control your own income, which there is not a more satisfactory way to earn a living and uh, a more frightening way to, to earn a living, too, uh, depending on, on how you're doing. And a lot of that has to do with prospecting. A lot of it has to do with following up. So if you get your follow-ups right, you can really control your income. If you don't do follow-ups right, or if you're not following up at all, then it is just a roll of the dice each day, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it, it, you wanna do things that better your probabilities. Mm -hmm. And following up in the right way, and the most correct way, and reading the room and knowing how to follow up, you're, you're making the most of your probabilities. And when you're playing with poor odds, you really are gambling. Like sales turns into gambling when you don't have uh, control of the things that can better your probabilities, like following up. And we have a couple charts coming up uh, later in the episode that really, really illustrate that, right? Because if you're not following up, your, your probabilities are, are going down into the tank. I mean, like <laughs> literally long shots, like the 100, 100, and, 100 to 1 horse Horse, the, the nag that is, is off at the races at Belmont or, or, or whatever your preferred track is, your racetrack, you know, it's, it's you, you really, you lose control. We had, uh, Duner and I had one of, on one of the earlier episodes last year of Put That Coffee Down, we had Brent Orsuga, who's a recruiter, a logistics recruiter out there, and he had a really good advice that, that I, I keep on spouting as well, and that is, there's only two things you really control in sales your activity, and your attitude. Yep. And you got to control the controllables, right? Control mm -hmm. your attitude, <clears throat> where your mind's at, how you're viewing things, and then control what you're doing, right? Yep. And, and be real thoughtful about those things. You know, the, the people that are best at blackjack count cards. <laughs> and they, they are and they playing their process odds. too. Exactly. Right? You know, exactly. hitting on 17 or staying, depending on what the dealer has, you know, those are the, the only way you can actually even get close to beating the house. And they're not emotional, right? They're not. They understand they're not. the probabilities and the odds. They understand what's going on and they trust the process. And mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot to learn there. If you can figure out how to make the, the system work and get those odds in your favor, trust that process, mm -hmm. stick to it, and, and it'll work in the long run. It, it is. Maybe we'll do that on a future episode, The, the Gambler's Dilemma. And, yeah. and if you, because it's really interesting. It really flows into the cells. Uh, quite nicely. And, you know, later on in the episode, we're going to have Nick Dangles on. He's co-founder of Kinetic, and uh, we're going to talk about follow-ups with Nick, uh, talk about his sales career, how he got into freight, and what he's doing now with, with helping freight tech companies uh, go to market. Uh, but first, let's uh, talk about surge transportation. It's the fastest growing 3PL in the logistics space today. Based in Chicago and Jacksonville, they offer unrestricted access to almost all accounts 
limitless territory and a chance to be a key player in a growing company. To find out more, email jobs at surgetransportation.com. Once again, that's jobs at surgetransportation.com. And another episode that we're going to do very soon is is recruiting and the the war for talent right now when it comes to 3PLs, because it's really a a tight labor market out there. Uh, You're seeing it in a a number of different industries. And I've been hearing through the grapevine uh, that it's very difficult to hire uh, new Great brokers right now, so it'd be interesting to, to get a kind of kind of a wind on the market. I know there's, uh, you know, two, three, four years uh, people start moving around, especially in freight. So we, we'll we'll do a, a case study on that. Yeah, the supply and demand of uh, of, of human labor. <laughs> it, it, it is. It is the supply and demand of human labor and selling those jobs. You know, that yeah. it's a sell all of its own, really. Um, and then I was going through LinkedIn yesterday and found Chris Jolly. He always has great videos every single day. And he was on Freight Waves Now this morning uh, in our morning episode. Uh, but he has really good advice. He's going through this. I've been through it. Uh, if you're a salesperson anywhere, you've gone through it too. Because your sales book or your book of business, as they say, is, is your own business. You know, you control it. We were just talking about that just a second ago. And Chris says, harsh reality, nobody will truly believe in your vision when you start. Frankly, they shouldn't because you haven't done anything yet. That was tough for me to realize over the last year in my in starting my company. When you start, your internal belief in what you're doing has to raise stronger than anyone else's opinion. The results come, and I promise you they will. But don't let your own limiting beliefs or your search for external justification Stop your progress. Day by day, you will become one step closer to your goals. No truer, no truer words really have been uh, uh, said in, in, in life in general. Yeah, you know, the, the, when I read this, the first thing that came to mind was uh, when I was in rookie ball, or my first spring training, actually. Mm-hmm. And I had a coach that came up and said, listen, Richie, you got to know, you got to build your filtration system. I said, well, what do you mean by a filtration system? What are you talking about? I, I drink good water. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And he said, no, no, no. Seriously, there are coaches out there that want to hitch, hitch a ride on your success. And they're going to want to tinker with you and change something so that when you make it big, you pull them up with, mm-hmm. your, own, with your own success. And so they have their own self-interest in mind. And they're always going to be tinkering with you to try to use you as some sort of guinea pig to see if they can do something. He's like, then there's going to be coaches that really do truly have your interest in mind. And they are seeing things that, that are meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And you need to be able to determine who is who and listen to certain people and, and other people. Just let it come one in, in one ear and out the other. And, you know, with what, with what Chris is saying here uh, in this post, is that no one's going to understand your vision, but a lot of people might have some sort of input or some sort of advice. And you have to have a filtration system built in to know who are the individuals that you really want to value and listen to what they have to say when you're starting up. They're still not going to know your vision, but they might have some sort of view from the outside that is legitimate. Mm -hmm. And then who are those individuals that are just trying to hitch a ride, right? They're just, they're all they're, all they're trying to do is just, they're saying something for their own ego's sake, and they're not really thinking about your interests. And uh, and that's uh, you know just like when you're starting out as a baseball player, when you're starting out in a business, you got to build a filtration system. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, basically your passion, and I, I like this line here, your passion and your belief has to be stronger than everyone else's uh, opinion, right? Because I, when you start something, even in sales, new, maybe new sales technique or new market or something that no one else is doing, and that's, that's really what a business is. You're trying to do something that no one else is doing because you see the opportunity in there. Other people might see it a little bit. Oftentimes, people won't see it at all. It doesn't matter. You can see it clearly in your mind, and that's what drives you. But it's going to take a long time, years sometimes, for everyone else to catch up to you. And you just have to ignore a lot of it and, and take good, good criticisms good advice, and plow toward doing what you are setting out to do because only you control it. And, um, and you know, certainly if you're doing your own business, you really have to contend with that. But if you're successful in sales too, you, you have to contend with it too because to be successful in, in anything in, in sales is, is definitely you have to do what everyone else won't do, whatever, what everyone else isn't committed to doing. You know, you have to be a little bit out there. And, uh, and part of that is your belief and your passion uh, to do what, what needs to be done. Absolutely. You got to be authentic, right? And, no, and, you know, the only way that authenticity is going to ring true is if it's real, right? Yes. And, and uh, you know, a lot of these people that are starting businesses, they've discovered a niche. They've discovered a pocket of some part of the industry that where their value is needed. And they have found a way to drive value to that specific uh, need. And it takes some time for that to be communicated across the broader audience. Mm -hmm. And it takes some time to develop that messaging. And it takes some time to diffuse that passion out across the marketplace as well. Um, but when that, when that individual has, has identified that need, launched that business, that passion is great. And, and you want to keep that fire burning. That's the only way you're going to be able to, to spread it. And that's one of the reasons why they, they say ideas are a dime a dozen. It's easy to have an idea, but it's very difficult to, to sustain that five years because usually it really takes five years for any good idea, for any business to really get off the ground to, uh, to, to go from, uh, say, a startup to something that's an established player or, or something that's been around a while, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of people sell on we've been around for 30 years or we're, we're starting out and we're new, right? Uh, <laughs> but you want to go from that, that new to that, you know, or, or that competitive advantage, to that cost of doing business, to that established, mature player. So that, that's a struggle. It takes a long time, and uh, and I'm glad Chris Jolly is doing really good in that right now. So, uh, but let's talk about follow-ups now. Yeah, following up, and I think it's a good segue. You know, is success in sales and business, and I think this goes right along with follow-ups. Is oftentimes an exponential curve. It is. Right? Like, yeah, we're not getting anywhere. Exactly. We're not, like, I don't feel like we're making any progress at all. Then, oh my goodness, things take off. I, is exactly right. I, I've heard it, uh, people illustrate it with, you know, it's, it's like this tiny piece of ice sticking up out of the water, right? Um, but, but you have this huge iceberg underneath. And no one can see that progress. You can't even see that progress a lot of times until you, you break the surface of the, the, the water, right? And yep. then, you know, you're on that exponential curve. Yep, hundred percent. And I think life it, isn't linear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it gets back to follow ups, right? Because you could be following yeah. up, and you get silence, and you're sending out a follow up, and you're getting silence, and you don't know, 
right? And the, the silence, is, it breeds uncertainty. And some people get insecure in that feeling. And is this helping, right? Yeah. And, and we will talk to Nick about this because uh, he works a lot with freight tech companies. And whenever you have a new product or service, you do have to follow up. Yeah. You do. I mean, you learn that very quickly. You have to follow up a lot because you have to get this, this new idea or this new concept out. And oftentimes, the first time you say it, you butcher it yourself. But no one's ever going <laughs> because they can't see inside what your vision is. So it takes a lot of follow-ups and a lot of talking and, and pushing out to market for people to, to really have that aha moment. A hundred percent. And, you know, especially in, in, in situations where you're selling something that involves an educational component, mm -hmm. right? If you are yes. trying to expose a new way of thinking, a new way of getting into a marketplace or whatever it may be, it's going to take some time for that message to sink and to really hit home. Whereas, you know, uh, other things, you know, more transactional, you know, I would imagine a lot of brokerage situations, mm -hmm. it's, you know, I have a truck and you just want to keep building that relationship to make sure that the other person knows that you're a trustworthy person and that you have their interests in mind. And, and that takes its own special follow-up, right? Because you have to communicate constantly to, to build that trust. Um, but I, th I think follow-ups come in uh, two parts of the, the sales process, right? Prospecting, right? Yeah, yeah, you call somebody, they don't answer, you move on. You always have to follow up there. Then after, I say the presentation, the, the, the pitch, the demo, right, and, and following up until, and we'll just go to a close. You always follow up, but right. even, even after that, but until the, the agreement's signed or you get agreement, and, and those are, are two kind of different, you know, they're, they're both follow-ups, but, but they're two different parts of the sales process. So we'll be looking at, at both of those, but really concentrating more on after the demo, the presentation, the pitch. Right. right. Yeah. Because there's a lot of times you go in, you do a demo, and if you don't follow up, what happens? Yeah. You just killed your momentum. You did. It's, I think about follow-ups as building momentum. I right? like that. And, and you want to, you know, when you get to the demo or when you get to the sales pitch or the sales call, there is your opportunity to capture a lot of momentum, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, the follow-ups are continuing to build on that foundation. You want to you want to drive more and more value. You want to prove your worth. You want to stay top of mind, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's that's what it's all about. It's just building more and more momentum to where you're getting people thinking in the in the language of what you're selling. Yeah. Well, let's see what salespeople actually do. Let, let's look at the progression of a sell here and see what salespeople really do. <laughs> you know, and, and and the first one that the first contact. 43% of salespeople have given up. Now help me out. Is this is this uh, post demo or is this all is this all encompassing or is this uh, prospecting? Uh, you know, I think this is more prospecting, but I, I think the numbers are very similar after the demo too, or the, the pitch or the presentation. You follow up once. I think only I, I think less than sell, less than half of salespeople actually follow up more than one time. Wow, right? I, I really do. And if they do follow up, it's, it's in a haphazardly kind of fashion. I, I really believe that. Um, contact two, 68%. So if, if you call somebody twice, uh, you, you're in the top 30%. Or three times, I guess. If, if you do three times, if you contact them four times, you're in the top 20%. But a lot of times it takes 
at least seven seven contacts. And those those studies that, that that you'll find out there range from seven to twelve or maybe fifteen. It really all depends on what you're selling. Right. Or sometimes it's more condensed, sometimes it's longer, but whatever that is, whatever you found in the past, you have to keep on doing it. Yeah. So oftentimes it is seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve contacts, and that could be all kinds of different things. My earpiece just won't stay in today. Um, <laughs> it, it, it can be all kinds of different things. Uh, you know, content marketing, it can be, uh, you know, the, the marketing side, the sales side, and, and other people in your company, maybe. But you you do. You, know, you have to build that trust, and that's part of building the trust. And you're getting back to probabilities, right? Because there's a lot of different variables at play that that lead to a, a sale closing. Mm -hmm. And you, the fact or the reality of the matter is that you're not in control of every single variable, right? But there are some variables that you are in control of, such as your attitude and your actions, right? So you, you and following up falls into that, right? You don't know what the timing is. You want to find that out, but maybe not every prospect or client is going to be forthcoming with what their timeline looks like for making a decision. And so that may or may not be known, and you don't know the conversations that are being had uh, where you're not involved, right? So you, you don't really know what's being said behind closed doors, and you, don't, you only know what you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so you want to set follow-ups to where you're driving value, and again, you're bettering your odds, and you want to put yourself into the other person's shoes as best you can. With the information that you have, what kind of scenario are they in? You know, what are the, what is their what do you feel like their timeline is? What do you feel like their trigger points are? What are the things that are valuable? What are their pain points? All of that stuff that you pulled out in the qualifications, that's where the value lies, right? And so we want to start driving value to that. We want to start start sending messages, emails, and phone calls that if I was on the other end, I would be happy to take, right? And mm -hmm. not not so much something that'd be like, uh, I want to ignore this for a while. Just checking in. <laughs> I'm just checking in. Yeah, for yeah. It's like, well, if you have, have you that, looked at that? I, I'm just checking in, make sure that you know everything's okay. Yeah, that is. There is a time and place where that makes sense. It, there is, yeah. But it shouldn't be your default. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. That shouldn't be your strategy, right? There right. are there are times where it's just like, I, you're you're right there at the finish line. It's just like I am really just checking in. Are we going to do this or not? <laughs> yeah, you know. And then that's really acceptable. But that, that first and second follow-up, especially after a presentation or pitch, you should be adding value however you can and following up. So well, let's look at the odds, right? And, and this is a great graph here. It shows the odds. <clears throat> so the orange line, or is that yellow? I can't, I'm half cover, colorblind these days. Uh, <laughs> but the, 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 it's probability of making contact, right? So the, the more you call somebody, the, the more probably, you know, the, the the better odds or chances are that you're actually going to get in contact with them. You know, it's just a lot of numbers on that. Um, but, you know, as we go into the number of call attempts, the odds of that call being made by most salespeople dramatically diminishes, right? And, and it's an interesting chart. You know, the other variable that, because life isn't linear, you know. Yeah. Like, at what point do you actually cut somebody off? Because you want your activities to be, you know, value, you know, mm -hmm. income-producing activities. And if you've called someone 48 times and never got an answer, maybe your, your time isn't best spent calling that person. 
So there is a sweet spot there. To there win. is. Uh, and that's, that can be a challenge. And sometimes your luck that doesn't really hold up because you are the guy who's calling every single day, and you are Charlie Sheen calling Gordon Gecko in, in Wall Street, <laughs> right? And he finally picks up, and he loves, the, he loves that he's calling. He finally lets you in because you've called him so much. Yep. And then you end up in prison. So, <laughs> so sometimes it doesn't really work out, right? <laughs> but but it, it does. It shows that life isn't linear. And it shows that you just have to be persistent. You know, life is at the margin. You, life consists of, of success and failure is at the margin. And I like this graph because it shows the margin. You know, if you can just pick up what other people won't do, which is call somebody six or seven times, or follow up six or seven times in the right way, uh, you are you're in the top twenty percent. You know, twenty only twenty percent of salespeople are going to call five times. So if you can just call five times, you're going to pick up a lot of extra sales just by doing that. Exactly, and have a plan when you're calling, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't even try to think about it in terms of following up because following up frames the conversation for me to say, "Hey, just checking in." You know, <laughs> just checking I in. try to think about like. I, how much value can I send? Like what, what pieces of value when I'm looking out at the marketplace, what is jumping off the page as, oh my goodness, this person needs to know this to help them out for their business. They have, some, mm -hmm. they have a distribution center in this town and the freight market has flipped in the past 24 hours. They need to know this. So you know, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for value-driven contact and five of those communication points, now you're not only are you following up, but you're building trust, you're driving value, and you're proving that what you have to offer is worthwhile. And value is more valuable. Value is more valuable than rapport at, at this point, right? You know, I, if all you know, I, if, if the only idea you have is, is talking about the Bears game, or the Padres game, or, or something like that, uh, I, I guess just go ahead and do it. But you need to start looking. Here's a plan to, to do follow-ups in, right? We found a plan here. You know, number one is use a follow-up schedule, right? Be organized. You know, CRMs exist for a reason. Use them because creating a follow-up schedule is, is a great way uh, that CRMs add value to your life. Yeah, you, you can systematize things, right? Mm -hmm. you can, now you don't have to be guessing. You can look at your daily task list and say, okay, these are the people that I want to contact. Mm -hmm. Here's the information that I want to send. And so you, you have a plan. Right? Yep. Yeah. Use different contact methods. Phone, email, DMs, video, uh, text messages, anything and, and whatever you can do to, to mix it up. Right, because you can contact you, know, you can contact somebody. Well, there, there's like five methods right there. So just <laughs> yeah. one of each method. That's five 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 ways to do it. So do that. Maybe an audio message. Right, you Experiment can send audio. with that too. Right. You yeah, know, and know your client and know like again, put yourself in their shoes. What would they most like to have? A phone call or an email? I, exactly. I think about your timeline. Each product and service is different. So, you know, whether it's 14 follow-ups, whether it's six follow-ups, know your averages, keep your data, benchmark, know where you're at. Um, four, keep your messages simple and to the point. Add the value, right? But keep them simple, right? Yes. No one needs a, you know, a, a, a novel or a novella, <laughs> right? 
uh, with each communication. People are not going to read what you're writing. Just assume that from the get-go. Focus on them. Focus on a specific piece of value and keep it short and sweet. Communication is short and sweet. It's not a 300-page dissertation on freight. Um, keep details of each follow-up outcome, right? That's just record-keeping. That's knowing where to go on the, the next contact. Uh, and whenever you talk to somebody, always get agreements for the next steps, right? Always get agreements. Uh, I would say going back to your messaging, especially in email or messages, always ask a question then. Yeah. Always, and, always push it a little bit. And when you're on the demo, ask them about follow-up. What, what do you prefer? Mm-hmm. I want to follow up with you. When would be a good time? Should I call you? Should I email? What time of day would be best to call? Should we schedule something now? While you have them on the, on the line and you're talking with them, try to set expectations and manage expectations as best as you can. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Always, always, always do that. And then track email opens and click through. So if you're using email, if you're not using a tracker on your email, they are very affordable and uh, they're, they're fun to use. I, I've been using one for years and uh, I want to know when people are opening. I want to know when they're clicking through to the information I sent them. And I want to, to get those, those tiles going, right? Because then you know they're forwarding around the office. Oh, yeah. Uh, this great insight, intelligence, and information that if you're not using uh, uh, some kind of software, that will track opens and click-throughs. There's a huge difference. You are behind the game. There's a huge difference, and I haven't heard from this person in two months. Yeah. And they have not opened an email in two months. Versus, I've not heard from this person in two months, but they have opened 437 emails. (laughs) I'm viewing those two situations very, very differently. Very differently. Very differently. (laughs) You have to use email tracking. Yeah, you just have to do it um, because the good salespeople are out there doing it and they have better control over their, their follow-ups. Uh, well, let's bring on Nick right now. Nick Dangles, co-founder of Kinetic, and we'll talk to, talk about follow-ups. He, he wrote a nice outline that is, uh, is, is long, but he's always very prepared, aren't you, Nick? I am. Hey, what's up, Kevin? <laughs> so, so introduce yourself to our audience, what you're doing right now, how you got into freight, and uh, and all those good things. Yeah, yeah, you bet. So, like, I've been in freight for about ten years, all in brokerage, um, and recently we started up Kinetic over the past several months here. And what Kinetic's all about is helping freight tech companies get their products to market more quickly and with better adoption. We just noticed that there's often a disconnect between freight tech companies and freight companies. So we're working with the tech companies on things like sales, marketing, and customer success. Perfect, perfect. And you were once a lawyer. I, I, I knew I, I, I've known two lawyers in my life who started out as freight brokers, and they both know each other. So it's kind of strange. So mm-hmm. you started out uh, with with a law degree, right? Yeah, yeah. I started out with a law degree. Um, I mean, it's a story probably best told over a couple of beers sometime, but. <laughs> Like, just suffice to say, it wasn't a good fit for me. I sat there kind of in my office churning out my paperwork. I like I delayed all sorts of but um, I just couldn't see myself doing it for the next 30 years of my life. So I, I kind of made a transition into sales and I ran into the unique, or I tried to at least, and I ran into the unique problem of being both underqualified and overqualified, right? Like, I don't have the qualification for an experienced sales job because I've never done it before. And uh, like, I'm also, a 20 
eight-year-old dude with a law degree trying for an entry-level sales job. And no one's going to hire me because I figure I'll bounce in six months. So I ended up selling office supplies door-to-door for Quill. And that was like uniquely humbling and miserable at the same time. But like I learned a lot from there. I kind of just fell into freight through a recruiter. And that's where I met the other attorney you're talking about, Ryan. And like the, the past 10 years, the rest is history, right? It is. It is. I always have to remind you guys, it is a family program. So no curse. Wow. So I, I'll do my best. Okay. <laughs> well, let me talk about a, a team. The former assistant. freight programming might come out. Sorry. Well, I know, right? I mean, freight brokerage is, is, is part of that, isn't it? Um, but so so uh, let me do this real quick. Uh, we have Thai TMS. It's the ultimate domestic 3PL solution for LTL and full truckload freight. Thai gives you a centralized platform for sourcing load coverage by connecting you to load boards, rate intelligence, and capacity tools on a single page. With Thai, you can automate your LTL shipments from quote to delivery and all the way through your accounting process. If you are a freight broker or 3PL trying to expand quickly, Thai offers unmatched speed and scalability. Good stuff, good guys over there. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious to get back to this story though, because you, you know, you're a lawyer and now you're selling office supplies door to door. How, where did freight come into play? How did you stumble into freight? And and what about it made you stick around? And, and, and is that a there? step up or a step below? Yeah. It's a step up, definitely. <laughs> um, so no, I, like a lot of people, I just kind of fell into it. You know, I a friend of mine was in the industry. Um, she isn't anymore, but she hooked me up with a recruiter. And the recruiter um, introduced me to like one company. They hired me on. And immediately like, I, I walk into the office. It was a small company of like 10 people at the time. But I walk onto the floor and like everyone's screaming at each other. There are problems popping up left and right. You've got this, like, this pace of action that's insane. Like Everything's instant gratification. And I just think to myself, oh my God, like, someone's going to pay me to do this? Like This is a job that I can have right now where I just like, have fun and deal with problems for 10 hours straight all day? And it was such a change of pace um, from what I had previously been doing, and such a better fit for my personality that, like, it immediately hooked me, you know. And that's what kept me going for a few years. And but it's like it's tough. I don't want to say you burn out because it's uh, like I still enjoy it. But what really hooked me in was seeing how it relates, see, seeing how deep the industry really is. You know, it's not just a few guys in an office building slinging freight. I mean, it's connected to so many different industries and there's so many complicated problems like within this industry. There's just always something new to learn. And it's like, you can spend a lifetime doing it. It's just fascinating to me. It's an integral part of the economy. I, I think that's what uh, most people didn't really realize or maybe they did, but they didn't think about it until the last 12, 15 months, 18 months now. And uh, it's integral. You know, you can't really talk about economic information without talking about freight and supply chain and, and how everything's connected. Uh, and the, the, the major mainstream news stories right now or the ports, it's maritime. It's, it's a lot of that, that information right there. Yeah. And like I like as a broker, I always enjoy learning more about the supply chain and my customers and the, like their business. I used to ship a lot of metal. I just I, I really enjoyed being able to learn about like the metal industry and like the different suppliers and how that worked on their end. And like every single customer I had was a new opportunity to learn different things and become more of an expert in the field. So I just, it, it just, it hooked me, you know, like it does for a lot of people. Yeah. There's a lot of niches to, to, <laughs> you know, I feel like when you're in freight brokerage, you are, you were getting to learn about a whole bunch of different niche industries and different, mm-hmm. like, you know, just like you said, um, you know, 
different supply chains and understanding how various companies work. That's that's great. Um, as far as you know, making the transition from brokerage into kinetic, how did how did that happen? What what was your your motivation for getting out of the brokerage and, and starting something new? No, it's a good question. So. What motivated us to start up Kinetic was just kind of the exposure that we've had to various tech companies over the years. I mean, I've sat through a lot of demos, I've listened to a lot of sales pitches, and oftentimes there's just, like, like I said earlier, a disconnect between the freight tech companies and the freight companies. You know, I would sit through these demos and they would talk about the different features and the different tech, uh, like integrations and, and everything that's important to the tech company. And I would be sitting there on my end thinking to myself, well, like, how does this impact me? How is Billy in the corner going to book more freight with this tool? Like, how is that going to work? And why would I actually buy this? And talking to people in the industry, I, we noticed that it's just it's a common problem that people have, where the tech companies oftentimes sell what's important for the tech company, and they and they they miss the boat on what's important for the day to day of their actual buyers. So, like, we saw an opportunity to really help one help the tech companies get their products into the market better, and two this is going to sound hokey, but just kind of elevate the industry in general and kind of help improve the knowledge of the technology that's out there to fix some of these problems. Yeah, you know, you talk about tech and, and freight brokers and, and they are two different worlds. So they definitely are. We're talking about new concepts and, uh, and new products and, and being able to communicate that and the importance of the follow-up. Let, let's go back to your freight brokers days. You know, imagine yourself back on the floor slinging freight you know, trying to get shippers to uh, to pay attention to you and the follow-up game and kind of what you learned from there that you are applying as you're outselling your, your new business now. Yeah, so in terms of the follow-up specifically, like I'm, it immediately was apparent to me how important follow-ups were. You know, like, I, like I'm not a naturally good salesperson if that exists, right? I mean, I'm, I'm much more reliant on like, being educated in the field and following up with people that I am about like my sparkling personality shining through or like, whatever a natural salesperson is. But like, I'll never forget that like I got this one customer and like I'd been bugging him like twice a month, every month for 12 months. And finally he hits me with an email that just says like, Nick, your polite persistence paid off. Here's this lane that you've been looking for for the past few months now. And I'm just like, that's it. Like that's why you follow up with people. You know, I touched base with him a year ago. I knew he had freight and we kind of built up a rapport over the past 12 months. I learned about him. He learned about our business and how we could help him out. And finally, like the timing was right eventually. And to some degree, it's dumb luck. But if you do it well, it becomes more than that. Yeah. So, so if you do it well, if you add value, if you try, but you have to, to be in the game, right? You have to be, be on the mound to, to, to perform, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. You have to be in the game to, to get your at-bats or your pitches in. Uh, whatever baseball analogy you, you really want to, to use. And I found as a, a freight broker, I had more sales. And, and Richie's, uh, you know, your experience in this too, you know, you have more sales just being in the game, just, just, just latching on because at some point, especially as a freight broker, the current transportation provider, whether it's a broker or a carrier or something, they're going to screw up. You know, it's just the nature of the business. And they are going to make one too many mistakes, and you're going to be the first person on the phone talking to them, often by accident, and that seals the deal. That's actually, that's exactly what happened with this guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, he like he had his stable of five brokers he worked with, 
eventually one of those five brokers, like they didn't screw up. They just, um, there were some financial reasons why they couldn't mm-hmm. work with that broker anymore. So like, I was just the next guy that he reached out to because he knew who I was. Like we like would talk a couple times a month. So we had a bit of a personal relationship going. So like I was his guy, you know, once somebody fell off, the timing was just right to filter me in. Yeah, it's just great. about putting yourself in that position. It's like, you know, when, when trust is broken, uh, it seems like people, they want to look for what is most trustworthy, right? They yeah. want to get back to like, this thing didn't, this person didn't work out. That tr- that bridge is burned. Like now I need somebody that's not going to do that. So I want to go find trustworthiness that's mm-hmm. even greater than what I thought I had before. And I get the feeling that that's where the dividends of all those follow-ups over the course of that year, you were building the groundwork and the foundation of trust where, you know, now you're the first person that he turns to, not just because he knows your name, but he's like, man, this guy called me for a year straight. I feel like I can trust him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what are your thoughts on, on how do you build follow-up cadences that are building that trust foundation to create better odds for those types of scenarios to happen? So, I'll circle back a little bit to what you said, because I I agree wholeheartedly that the follow up kind of sets the stage for that customer relationship. I mean, if your follow up is terrible, what does that say about how you're going to be with them as a customer? Right. Like, what does that say about your service levels? Nothing good. Right. Like one of the first people I worked with in sales, like one of the first things he told me was, if you tell somebody they're going to follow up on a certain date and time, make sure you actually do it. Right. Because if you don't, it just speaks to the level of service you're going to be providing when they're a customer of yours. So that was always a huge thing for me. Like I tell people a date and time when I'm going to follow up with them and I actually do it. Like I don't care if it's four o'clock in the morning. I I had one guy who he was actually like a night shift supervisor and he was in charge of their transportation. He was only working from like 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. or something crazy like that. And he's like, "Okay, dude, if you want my business, call me at four o'clock in the morning. And I did it. I called him at four o'clock in the morning. Nothing came of it, actually. So it's a terrible story in that respect. But like you get the general (laughs) idea, right? Like you have to do what you say you're going to do. And if you do that, like they get some more insight into what you're going to be like as a business partner. You do. It's a numbers game. It's a number game. So so you had five people that you're calling at 4 a.m. One of them is going to buy from you. I mean, it's it's just just the the, the odds. It's just the the game, you know, life as a blackjack. table right uh or a blackjack game uh so so i you know i another good strategy that that i've always found is not to have one contact in a company have multiple contacts in a company as many as you can right so then it's easier to to hit those follow-up numbers because you're not calling the same person every 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 time right you're calling the the transportation manager director of logistics the vp of operations uh, the CEO, you're just uh, spraying around a little bit in an organization. I mean, have you ever tried that, Nick? Yeah, I've absolutely tried spraying myself around and t- talking to as many people as I can. I mean, you see it a lot on the account management, front, but it's just as important on the sales side of things. You know, if you're exclusively talking to one person, you just like you miss the different perspectives that you get from talking to other people because what you can learn about a company from um, like their transportation manager versus their accounting. Like Nimi talks about that a lot, right? Like talking mm-hmm. to the accounting department, yeah. seeing what challenges they have. But like any gatekeeper, any person you talk to in the company is going to give you valuable information, right? And the more you talk to that gatekeeper who won't pass you through, 
the more likely she's going to be or he's going to be to pass you through the actual decision maker, right? And you can talk to them and they, they know a lot about the company, right? You don't just need to talk to the transportation person. Talk to their gatekeepers, see if they know about anything about their freight, because they probably do. Uh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, when I think about follow-ups, the first thing that jumps into my mind is I'm trying to determine, is it email? Is it phone? Is it phone and email? Is it email, email, phone? Is it morning? Is it lunchtime? <laughs> is it end of the day? Is it two? Like, like there's all of these questions about, you know, what time, what mode of, of communication mm -hmm. is best. How do you, and I get that it's going to be different for everybody's going to be a little bit different, but what is your process for determining the right mode, the right time uh, to set each, each follow-up? You know, I'm, I'll admit I might not be as formalized as I should be with that. Because like I know people who have very formalized set schedules of like day one call email voicemail day three call boy like, and so on and so forth for the next sixty days. I tend to be a little bit more case by case about it, um, just based on whatever feedback I'm getting from that particular company. You know, if it's a guy who actually picks up his phone and is willing to talk to me a little bit, that's going to be different than if it's somebody who never picks up their phone clearly directs me right to voicemail, but does interact over email, right? Because some people respond better to different modes of or different channels of conversation. And I think it's important to just pick up on that, kind of tailor your approach, depending on who you're talking to and how the conversation's going. So here's a question from both of you. So I, I wrote down five ways to add value to your forums, right? And you know, it starts off with articles or surveys some some bit of information that, that you found and you, you send out. Number two is your own market commentary. Number three is specific use cases or case studies for your product or service. Four is past conversation, talking points, rapport, inside jokes, you know, sports, uh, whatever that is. And then five is connecting whoever you're talking to with others in the industry that you know, being, being that connector, right? So uh, top of the list is you know, being a maven, kind of the, the bottom of the list is being the um, the connector and kind of in the middle is being the salesperson. So uh, how do you like to start out? Do you like to, to, to mix it up and, and go maybe go through that entire progression as you're following up with people? You know, in terms of what information to share, how to approach that, I'm going to kind of give, a, again, the real vague answer if it depends, you know, because. <laughs> well, what's your favorite? It, it is my favorite. I, I say it a lot. It depends is my favorite. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's my old, it's the old lawyer coming out. And there's never any like specific answer to any specific question. Sounds terrible. Um, but no, depending on the conversation that you're having with people, it might lend itself more to different type of information. You know, maybe you get somebody on the phone and you're talking about different channel partners that they, that they could have. In that case, by all means, make introductions to, um, trying to think of a good one for a freight broker for like for me specifically with tech maybe it's a tms they did with right mm -hmm. in that case if that comes up in the conversation that's a great channel partner to have um as opposed to maybe they're not very well versed in the industry maybe they're new you know you get some new transportation manager on the phone they don't know what they're doing maybe a better option for them is to just give them resources to learn about the industry in that case like directing the freight waves some other periodicals gives them some give them some articles that kind of touch on how to manage a transportation department or anything that you've got handy with that. So there, there's a lot of different ways to approach it depending on who specifically you're talking to and how the conversations are going. 
Which one do you like, Richie? Uh, I'm stealing his answer. Uh, it depends. It, it depends. I, you know, I, there we I, go. I heard a quote that said, uh, "Simple answers to complex questions are almost always wrong." Oh, <laughs> I like that. They're and almost always right. I think like that <laughs> they really are. You know, I, I like my own commentary. I like articles and surveys. You know, but I, you know, it, it, it does depend on who you're talking to. But I like to start out with that. Uh, connecting people is. I am becoming. Uh, I, I like that more and more, especially if you're a freight broker, you're, right? And you're hitting one industry, you're hitting the metals industry, Nick, and uh, and you can introduce someone new at a, at a company that you're trying to prospect with one of your customers that, that maybe they can trade notes, get some value. Though there's worse ways to follow up than than connecting prospects with your your current customers in a very um, a, 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 a very opportunist way. Yeah, totally agree. Like I've, I've made a lot of connections over the years to various customers I've had, um, and it's cool because they, particularly if it's connections within their industry, mm-hmm. you kind of demonstrate that I mean, it's self-serving, right? You demonstrate that you have connections within the industry and you're working with some of their competitors. Yeah, you make it make self-serving sound bad. <laughs> that, that tone of voice, right? To. <laughs> But well, it's true. The more people you can introduce them to, the more they realize that, oh, like this guy is someone who actually knows about this industry, knows about yeah. my sex segment of the industry. And if my competitors are working with him, shoot, man, like I, I should probably work, be working with him too. Exactly right. And I'm always trying to put myself, you know, if I'm trying to decide which one of those to choose, I always default back to put yourself in their shoes. What is their mm-hmm. situation? What is going to be most valuable to that prospect? What do they want to hear? What is in their best interest? And if I can deliver something, you know, if I can choose whatever I feel like is going to be in their best interest to, to show value, now I feel like I'm, I'm building that momentum. Yeah. And, and you I are. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Go ahead, Nick. I would think in, in terms of sharing stuff like this, it makes it more about building the relationship and like adding value and less about the actual sale itself, which I think is important. If you can demonstrate to them like right off the bat in the sales process, that what you're about is really just helping them and building a relationship between the two of you and not just that quick sale. It's gonna it's gonna just build a better relationship for the future. And they're gonna be more inclined to work with you when the time is right. 100%. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right on that. So I have a question for both of you again uh, about this follow-up strategy, and I, I really like it. So I'm a proponent of it. You don't have to be a proponent of it too. This, the, the follow-up strategy, I should say. Follow-up strategy of cry, die, or buy. You just keep going until they start crying, they die, or they buy. I hadn't heard that before. Um, <laughs> just keep going until they cry, until die, they or, die buy. or buy. You know, I, I think there are probably situations where that could be a good fit. You know, like I, I'm not going to say I re- recommend it across the board, but... I'm sure that there are people out there who you just need to bug until they cave. You know, I've done it. I'm sure everybody in freight has done it. Um, whether like you just wear them down until at some point they're like, fine, here's a lane. What like, <laughs> give me your best rate. And it's not the best way to go about winning business. It doesn't, I don't think it builds relationships. It really fosters the best kind of like business relationships between you guys. But again, like everyone's done it. It, it's it's so commonplace. It just needs to be done sometimes. Yeah, it, I guess my my thought there is, 
what activities are 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 the the where should I be spending my time? How should I be spending my time? And if I've emailed and called somebody six thousand four hundred and twenty three times and I've gotten zero email opens or clicks, then maybe that's the uh, the writing on the wall that I should try emailing somebody else. But you know, there's there's some thresholds there, right? To where you don't want to keep knocking on a door if you don't feel like there's anybody inside the building. Uh, and maybe that's how you would define die, right? Like if if you mm-hmm. just get a certain, but you have to be real intentional about your definitions of all those terms as well. Well, I was thinking die as being six feet under, but. Oh yeah, that yeah. too. That's, <laughs> but, but yeah, it, it, I think that there is, you know, the cadence too, right? So if somebody's hot and, you know, we're building this good cadence, then I want to keep driving that momentum. But if it goes quiet, I don't want to just cut it off. I want to keep ringing that, that bell and knocking on the door, but maybe I slow that down a little bit if I'm getting silence mm-hmm. and I start checking in monthly or every other month or, or so forth. But, um, yeah, that's where so. content marketing comes in too, right? Yeah. You can automate some of that, right? You get into the the nether reaches of, of follow-ups, right? Mm-hmm. Into the 20s and 30s. You set it on autopilot. You, you have your own email list. You have you have something that where you can automate and, and really broadcast out a little bit. Like right? a, nurture, so, a nurturing campaign. A nurturing where you're still campaign, providing yeah. value, mm-hmm. but at some point you need to put it on cruise control if they've been quiet for too long so that you can focus on those that are more engaged right so um there is there's a lot of variables at play there and it depends on where you are in your own workload if you've got Mm -hmm. a lot of hot clients that's where your time should be right and if you don't have much of a pipeline you want to start generating one and starting to to, you you know utilize some of these follow-ups to do so you definitely definitely do nick um Thank you so much for your time today. How does our audience reach out and and contact you, learn more about Kinetic, uh, about uh, especially if you're a freight tech company and looking at your go-to-market strategy? Yeah, so if you want to reach out to me, um, feel free to check me out on LinkedIn. I'm very active on there. Or shoot me an email at nick at poweredbykinetic.com. Thank you very much, Nick. Awesome. Always great to talk to you. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Thank you very much. So we had a, a sonar section today, yep. and uh, I, I kind of skipped over it earlier in the show. Um, but but let's let's talk about sonar. Let's yeah, talk about what your chart of the week is. I love what he's doing at Kinetic, and I think this you know goes straight into what we're what we're going to look at here in sonar with moving from the conceptual to the tangible. You know, like what what's going on? What kind of makes sense mentally and theoretically to how can I put this into play and make it actionable today? Um, and what we're seeing in the industry, what I saw with this chart, kind of shows some of these movements and changes that the, the evolution of the transportation industry post-COVID. Um, and, and maybe as I explain this, it, it'll make a little bit more sense. But uh, what we're looking at in the blue line is the you know, dry van tender rejections at the national level. And you can Mm -hmm. see that they've been slowly starting to trend down. However, this green line is dry van tender volumes, which are staying elevated. And, you know, if you ask a lot of the market experts, we have so many great minds over here at FreightWaves. It seems like what you're looking at with that, the flat plateau of the green line is the ceiling of what, you know, the dry van 
industry is capable of handling from a volume standpoint. And so with volume staying flat and rejection starting to trend down, the, 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 the thought there is that prices are starting to balance, right? Mm -hmm. We're starting to get this movement back to where prices have been elevated to, to such a level to where now they're being accepted more. Um, and so this is a big change from 2020, which was just, we shook the snow globe of freight and we don't know what's going on. It's chaos, routing guides are being shredded. And now we're starting to see that people are trying to get some sort of handle on the situation. Um, that makes, uh, you know, th these situations and these dynamics are going to be different by market, by specific lanes, and so forth. And that's where understanding how these dynamics are playing can help you be better informed with how to make those decisions on, you know, whether it's contract negotiations for contract freight or spot market negotiations for transactional day upgrade. Either way, uh, this is, seems to be a bit of a pivotal moment with what's happening in mm -hmm. the industry and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, we were talking about market commentary on, on follow-ups. Uh, Sonar Torch sending out to your, your customers is an excellent way to breathe life into your follow-ups, add value, add commentary, Huge. Like you're seeing right now, because uh, you know what, if you're moving freight out there, you're a producer of metals or CPG or, or whatever industry you're in, and you're, you're, you're sending freight out, you want to know about the market, you're curious about capacity, and the, the people who can, who you can reach out to and learn the most from, or, or certainly the, the people who are going to be on top of your list when opportunities come up and when... Um, when you need them the most, so it's it's very important uh, to do. Do you think um, do, do you think those uh, those uh, Votri or, or van, dry van outbound tender rejections have kind of reached a peak? Do you think new capacity is coming in now to supplement, or we kind of it's, at a little bit of an equilibrium before chaos ensues ensues again? Yeah, it's really interesting. Is this is this uh, uh, you know I think a few weeks ago we looked at you know the flatness through the summer of previous, you know, pre-COVID years, is that what's happening? Is it all going to go crazy after Labor Day again? Or, you know, with the uh, imports continuing to surge, is that going to shake the snow globe again and, and cause rejections to go back up? There's a lot of uncertainty that's out there. The benefit in having access to real-time information is that whatever plays out, you see it play out in real time. So regardless of what direction the market goes, you can stay a step ahead. And you can make sure that if you see a punch coming, you see the punch coming and you can roll with it and it doesn't catch you off guard. Um, and uh, in regards to follow-ups, I mean, this is huge because if you're, especially in freight brokerage and, and yeah. you know, if you're uh, you know, on a carrier team and you're on a sales team, you need to be able to prove and show that you are trustworthy. And what better way than to point to something that's objective and say, this is what the market's doing on this lane. Here is why I'm, I'm charging what I'm charging. Here's why it's in line with the market. Here's why I'm confident that your service is going to be top notch. And I can show that to you through data so that you can understand that I'm being transparent and, and trustworthy here. And uh, that's a great use case for, for having access to Sonar. It, it, is, it definitely is. A lot of the articles and market information surveys are, are static. It's a static look in time. And as you said, Sonar is real-time information. So that's... That's going to be changing every single day. So it's always fresh information that to send out. Uh, and 
that it means you can just do more follow-ups. You can do more follow-ups with a lot of confidence. And it's just not, hey, Richie, just checking that. Just checking, do you need anything today? You have more value to share other than I, just I, like, I, hey, what you doing? I, I know. I, I guarantee you, get more action if you show value, uh, like in Sonar, sending a Sonar chart with maybe a paragraph of, of, of information for a shipper, then saying, hey, do you, do you need help today? Do you have any uncovered loads? Is there anything I can jump on for you? It's, it's, it transforms the relationship, and it makes yep. you more of a consultant than a uh, transactional spot market guy. And if you want, so certainly if you, if you want a long-term career in, in freight, you have to get out of the spot market lifestyle into the contract, into the, the higher levels of, of service and, and, uh, and, and, and products. Yeah, you, you go from being an order taker to being a trusted exactly. uh, a, a trusted partner, mm -hmm. right? And and you know you, you might start as an order taker, but you want to move to where you are somebody that they can turn to when they have a problem, and you're able to deliver. Um, yeah, hundred percent. That's what you have to do. You have to educate yourself too. And the next education class is coming up. Here on June 30th, so uh, two weeks from tomorrow, it's the North American Logistics Tech Summit. It's our one-day virtual event. We're going to be talking about uh, technology in the logistics space. We're going to be talking about certainly sustainability, but we're also going to talk about in-cab technologies with Schneider. We are going to talk about uh, trailer drop and hook systems and the technology that goes behind that. With Convoy, we're going to talk to Redwood about, uh, you know, as a service. Uh, and also Project 44 will be there, uh, Worldwide Express as well. Um, and uh, they'll be talking about technology, especially in Parcel and LTL. I'll be doing that with the COO, uh, Joel Klum. So we have an exciting lineup. You can go to live.freightwaves.com and register today. To, uh, to, to, to do that, we'll, we'll also do giveaways. I'm not sure what the giveaways are right now, but they're always insanely uh, awesome. So go register at live.freightwaves.com and you can uh, catch this episode of Put That Coffee Down and entire or 18 months of library either at tv.freightwaves.com or the podcast version on Freightcats, uh, wherever you download your podcast, you can go do that. Uh, but that wraps it up for this episode of Put That Coffee Down, and we'll see you next week, Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. I got friends, only want to talk business. I got expensive, because when is expensive. I got expensive, because when is expensive. I've been getting out of work. And I've been shutting down the stars.